0: Hey, this is Shane Malcolm. And this is Jordan Schweitzer. We're the creators of Boot Bags. Fashionable, durable, washable. Boot Bags are the most convenient way to carry your cleats to and
1: from training or games. Check us out at BootBags.us. You're listening to the Force Fancast Podcast. City. Welcome to the third and final, I'm sad to say, episode of Who Are You, Our three-part limited series where Darren Fletcher and I spend a little time going back through forest history, focusing on some of our favorite players from the 80s, 90s, and today will be all about the noughties. Fletch, I was gonna suggest um, that we could have had the snappy moniker of Turner and Fletch, but you know that not only does that put us in the wrong order, seniority-wise, it also sounds a bit too much like uh, an old Tom Hanks movie where he stars alongside a dog. So,
0: yeah, you're, yeah, it's probably one of those uh, things, where like 80s film where you've got to roll your jacket sleeves up, that <laughs> kind of thing.
1: <laughs> I just want to make it clear to our listeners, uh, I would be the dog in that scenario. So. <laughs> um, so, Fletch, since we last spoke, you have been back on the commentary, mic. Tell our listeners about that. <clears throat>
0: yeah, so the Bundesliga came back, and BT Sport, who I work for, here in the UK they've got the rights to the Bundesliga so obviously we we were always going to cover it because um, despite everything that's going on there is a a real appetite for live sport in in some way shape or form football in particular so they worked out a way that we could commentate from home so um, I've got I've got a kit in the house the very microphone is there
1: look at that so
0: uh, where's your sheepskin uh, yeah, I don't need one. I've got central heating <laughs> and it's the summer. So, so what we've got kind of a, the same commentary box that we'd use for a Champions League game that's been sent to the house. I've then got a, a kind of digital machine that we link to the internet. That I then connected a laptop to the internet, HDMI lead into a television, so I get the game from the laptop onto the tele, and then the the commentary machine bit that gets the sound down, that pipes it back. So I'm actually sat in this office when the very seat I'm in mean now, commentating on the Bundesliga, which was totally bonkers. But I mean, it seemed to work and people seemed to like it. And, you know, these are strange times. So we've just got to do the best we can. I mean, I, I, I was all right because I just did one game, I did Leipzig against Freiburg.
1: How did that um, game go?
0: I didn't. It was fine. It's good so. game. It's fine. It's good game. Some goals? One-one. Late okay. goal disallowed. Yeah, late goal disallowed. In the AR, So some f- things in the world are still normal. Um, <laughs> but Paul Dempsey, my colleague, ended up doing four games. So he did two back to back on Saturday and Sunday. Now I'm telling you, as a commentator, people might think our job's easy. They might all think we're crap. I'm not really bothered. Um, but it is quite difficult, and there are there is a lot that goes into it. So for him to do four games in two days. I'm telling you, that's a tough it's a tough job. So he, he did really well. So he led from the front for BT Sport. He's our main Bundesliga commentator. So while I, I'm the lead commentator for the Premier League and the Champions League, and then Ian Dart would be the lead commentator for the FA Cup and the Europa League, and Dempo would be lead commentator on the Bundesliga. So he got to lead from the front, and he did it really well. So um, I didn't have any doubts that he wouldn't because he's a top lad, but it was... He he was the one who really had to dig deep at the weekend, not, not me.
1: So do your missus and your kids know absolutely in no circumstances. Do you come into this room for the next two hours? They went out.
0: They just oh. went out because they, they said we we you know we we might not be quiet. So they went <laughs> off. They got on the bikes and went off. They went for a bike ride. So they left me and came back, not knowing what they'd find, like a pool of sweat on the floor and just my clothes, nothing like <laughs> that. But we managed to get through it. We got through it, we we're okay.
1: Well, it, it, when it comes down to doing these things in our own homes, uh, I, I, listeners, I apologize. You might be able to hear some bloke outside mowing the lawn, uh, not my lawn, sadly, his own. But I think he's close enough, the mic might be picking it up. So I know you got, you're a forgiving lot, but yeah, that's what I'm going to deal with here. You know, it's interesting, Fletch. Um, we have some similar, similar lines in regards to some of the mic work we've done. Uh, Obviously, I'm small fry compared to you. I'm I'm the budget Darren Fletcher. But in the last episode, you talked about when you had uh, Stoney on a radio show. Um, He was injured at the time, and you had him come on and do uh, a bit on the radio show. I had a similar situation when I was covering the switchbacks. I had a brief stint on the radio as well, and we had a center back called Josh Phillips who broke his collarbone, funnily enough, Fletch. Uh, through a celebration. As a centre-back, he rarely scored a goal. So he actually right. scored for the switchbacks and decided to do... Does anyone remember the dying fish celebration? It's kind of like the cleansman, but you keep your arms by your side. You sort of jump up, and then you can kind of almost belly flop onto the ground. And he thought that would be brilliant to do after he scored. Ended up breaking his collarbone. So uh, his manager at the time... Is that, not Steve, called, is, that not, is that not called a swallow dive, as opposed to the dead fish? It, <laughs> it Well... Josh Phillips is a fisherman, so that's what he termed it at least. But his manager <laughs> right. at the time, Steve yeah. Trichew, uh, formerly of the yeah. US men's national team, was not best pleased. So anyway, uh, Phillips was sent to Coventry, and Coventry ended up being the radio station because I invited him in to work with me a little bit. And um, it's okay. interesting what you say about getting to know the guys pretty intimately in those surroundings. That was that was a lot of fun. But but the reason I mention that story is because you're just reminding me of something else we have in common, which is, Um, again, small fry, but I did a a few games for the switchbacks during the Open Cup, which is sort of the US FA Cup equivalent. And I had a co-commentator with me. And obviously it's a lot easier doing it that way. But I saw on Twitter that you would posted, you were doing the Freiburg game solo. And I actually had to do some games solo for what was essentially the youth team um, for the switchbacks for a season. And that is exhausting. I mean, talking to yourself, is exhausting. I mean, did you, did, how hard was that, mate? Did you find that really challenging? I'd never done it before. Yeah. So it was all the commentaries I've done, and I probably did
0: my first one in about 1992. I'd never done one on my own. So it was, it was, that, yeah, the whole thing was daunting, really, because I've not seen Freiburg play for a while, if ever. Leipzig I'd seen against Tottenham, so that was okay. And it's a little bit more difficult doing it off a TV screen anyway, because you don't see the bigger picture. So, it's a different skill. Yeah. Well, I've not done a great deal of it. I'm normally at the game. Um, so it was it was different. Yeah, it was an experience. Um, but I, I think what what helped was the fact that I do the radio program on the BBC here. Means that I'm kind of used to talking for a period of time. So that wasn't so much of an issue. It, it turned out to be okay. I mean, it was fine. As I say, I find an easier job than others. So... Um, and that the feedback seemed to be fairly positive. I think people were just pleased to see the game. Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. It was well, all You mentioned, good. mentioned you're on the, on the BBC on a radio show there and having to do a bit of talking. I'm surprised yeah. you get origin Wood and Edgewise with a fella that you've picked today. Um, let's focus yeah. on our forest lads from the noughties. Uh, Fletcher, <laughs> yeah. I think I kicked off the last episode. So, I'm going give to you, give you the lead here, my friend. Who did you yeah. select from the forest from yeah. the 2000s? Again, I mean, I, I had to pick Stony last week, and I've got to
0: pick JJ for this one because Jermaine Genius. Because obviously, he's now my colleague on a Friday. So I've gone from seeing this lad um, come through the ranks at Forest to now be my friend and colleague every Friday on the BBC. He's mad, really. You sit down. <laughs> and say, how's, how's this work?
1: Oh, Genius with individual skill, maybe.
0: Him at this moment in time, he's made a fantastic name for himself, and we've seen in recent weeks he really is a talented young footballer. But he shows something different—a little bit of spark, a willingness to take on defenders—and he went through a space that was hardly that's not there, and he just showed his willingness to get the final touch on it. So, I first became aware of Jermaine when I was covering Forest and covering the first team. He'd come swaggering back with the rest of the young lads with his water bottle, having been training. And the buzz was that he was a he was a talented player, but he wasn't on his own. I mean, that that team in general had a lot of talented young players in it. And when Paul Hart arrived to take over the youth side of things, went on to be the first team manager eventually. But he came in with the express remit of trying to replicate what he'd done at Leeds United, where he brought through Jonathan Woodgate and Stephen McPhail and Alan Smith and people like that, Harry Kuehl. So Forrest wanted him to come in and have that kind of impact on the young players. So Forrest had a group of them who were all very talented, Andy Reid, Jermaine, Michael Dawson, Gareth Williams, Keith Foy, a lot of players, Brian Cash, and they realised that if they handled them right, they'd get a crop be ready for the first team. So Jermaine was 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 one of these, you know. He was he was he was a he was a talented boy, and then it was almost the waiting game until they'd be ready. So this was, a, I mean, you never really take a great deal of notice of the youth team unless you've got um, a group of good ones, and then you watch it to see how they develop, kind of interesting so them. Yeah, so we take a lot more interest in what the youth team was doing. FA Youth Cups and all that kind of thing yeah. to see how they compared to the, to the bigger clubs. And that's where I first got to know JJ. I ended up commentating on his debut. Um, I ended up commentating on his first goal. I ended up reporting on when he left and all this kind of thing. So um, him and I have been intertwined together for, for quite some time. So it's, it's, it's great. It's yeah. been great.
1: Yeah. So how long did it take you working with him to not see him as that young lad Because obviously, but it's interesting, you saw him at the very beginning when he was a young lad. I mean, couldn't even shave. And then he has this auspicious career and then he shows up at the BBC in the room with you. Are you looking at him like, you know, the lad with a water bottle making his way back from training?
0: No, not really. Because we'd we'd stayed in touch through the career. So obviously I covered numerous games that he'd played in. So we'd seen each other from time to time. And his agent, when he was still at Tottenham, had said to me, look, when he finishes, he'd like to go into your world and, and, and broadcast it. So I put him in touch with a few people at the BBC and helped him get a foot in the door there at the outset. Um, so I kind of know a while that this was going to happen. And then they thought it'd be good to put us together on Fridays on the BBC. But I think the thing with him is. You don't get many, if, if you're a club like Forrest, you don't get many players that come through with his ability. You get good players, mm-hmm. and to get Michael Dawson as a centre-back, that's not rare, you know, for a championship team to get a good centre-half. But it's rare to get a player like him who could do everything that he did. And when he mm-hmm. came into the first team, he could pretty much do it straight away. Right. He'd got this ability to beat people, he played in a lot of, when he used to run with the ball. He reminded me in many
1: ways to Gascoigne.
0: Without it's that so brute,
1: funny you said that, yeah, yeah. I was just, without I was that the same thing, yeah.
0: Without that brute strength that Gascoigne had to throw people aside when he went past them. But Jay had got that slalom style that you yeah. saw from Paul. So that was what I noticed about him as a footballer straight away. Physically gifted. I mean, you know, very very fit. Front of the class in terms of running it. and all that. No, never mentions it. <laughs> very, very humble in that regard. Um, but he came in and he, ju- he just belonged. Straight away he belonged. And, and you knew then that he wasn't going to be there for long because yeah. he, was, he was clearly destined to play international football and play for, for, for big sides because it was obvious the talent that he got. Um, I remember the goal he scored against Bradford in a, in a cup tie and he, he slalomed through and finished. And I, I commentated that night and I, I described him as being like Ricky Velia at the Trent End. Yeah. And it, it was that goal. It was, it was Ricky Veer in the cup final, but it was Jermaine Genus. It was Jermaine Genus at the time. We'd That's not, right. We'd not, not realised it was Genus back then. Um, it, it, we called him Jermaine, incorrectly called I incorrectly called him Jermaine Genus. So I ruined his goal. He could never play it back. <laughs> I got his name wrong. But, um, but yes, yeah, so, but, but he, you know, he, he was he was a natural, naturally talented kid, very very good, um, great attitude, um, and and a really
1: really really good footballer. Yeah. So he broke into the Reds starting eleven on January two thousand one at the tender age of just seventeen. His uh, debut being the FA Cup home defeat to Wolves, and he made one other appearance that year uh, in the league. And then the following season, two thousand one two thousand two. That's when he became a regular, uh, making 28 starting appearances, notching four goals. It's funny, we were talking off Mike Fletch about JJ a little bit, and um, I was a season ticket holder at the City Ground at the time, and I remember him being one of my absolute favorite players again. Listeners will know I gravitate to central midfielders, whether it be Neil Webb or whether it be David Brutton, and that's not a popular comment anymore, but I don't care. I love Pruts um, uh, or, or JJ. And I just, I so enjoyed watching him play. And it felt like he was the fulcrum of that team. He was such an important part of that team for a stretch of time, but it was 28 games. That was it. What do we what do we know about the reasons he left the city ground? I mean, I know they're fairly well documented, Fletch. But what's your take on why uh, you know his light burns so bright and then off he went? Well, he, he he was
0: it was it was pretty straightforward. He was called into the office and he was he was given the choice of a couple of clubs. And he, he, the, the Forest had to sell him. They needed the revenue. Nigel Doughty owned the club at the time. It had been mismanaged to a a grossly negligent level, and his. His task at that time, Nigel as the owner, was to actually stop it from going bankrupt. So they got saleable assets, and Jermaine was the most saleable of all of them. So he was called in and said, you've got to go. And it wasn't him clamoring to leave. It was a case of, you've got to help us save the club. You have to leave. I think if he could have stayed there a little bit longer, he probably would. Um, but he, he wasn't really given the choice, so he had to go. And that that was that. So. It, it, it's it's pretty black and white in 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 terms of why Jay went. And yeah. Forrest supporters should never hold that against him because that wasn't his decision. He couldn't say no. He didn't have the option of, do you want to go there? Do you want to go there? Or do you want to stay here? Mm-hmm. It was, do you want to go there? Or do you want to go there? But you're going somewhere, so the only choice you have is whether it's there or there. And he chose Newcastle. So it was never his desire to go. And by leaving it bought Nigel Doughty a bit of time in terms of fending, fending off creditors and making sure he could keep the club solvent. So he actually played a really important role, but just not on the pitch. Right. By, by
1: bringing that revenue in, it, 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 kept, it kept Forrest going to a large extent. Now, he was one of our own, born in the Nottingham area. Do you have some sense of what it really meant to him to represent Forrest, because I know he's, he's talked in uh, interviews subsequently about his regret at having to leave the city ground. What did it mean to him, do you think, to put on the Garibaldi?
0: Look, I, I, think it, I think it's the same thing that my son experiences now. He's an academy boy at Forrest. And the fact that he walks in there and he walks in the changing room and he puts on that red shirt means everything to him. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of experiencing it now from a father with a son who's going through what Jermaine would have gone through then. And it means everything to them. And I would think the closer to the first scene you get, the more it starts to mean, because it becomes more real, doesn't it? Um, yeah. So it, it would have meant everything. I mean, he's from Clifton, which is the same place that Viv Anderson was from, or is from. Um, a real hotbed, you know. A lot of passionate Forest supporters live in that part of the city. It's probably only five, ten minutes from the ground, so he's pretty much on the doorstep. So he's, you know, that that was his thing. And he, you know, he, he, it meant the world to him. Um, But as I say, it was, it was, it was a situation that was cut short through no fault of his own. The club's finances purely dictated that he was the person they needed to use to keep everything floating there, really.
1: Yeah, he was definitely the most saviable asset. You mentioned that fantastic goal he scored. uh, Was it Bradford? The slalom Bastard, goal? Yeah. yeah, that's right. Yeah. Do, you sentence, to, yeah. do you happen to remember his first goal? Because his first goal is, uh, folks need to check it out on YouTube. It was quite, and he was against Barnsley. I'm not going to talk about who set it up because that becomes relevant later. But uh, he, in, in typical Jenna style, I mean, he talked about his energy levels, right? And his fitness. He comes crashing in at the back post, only just about connects to the ball, hits the goal. I think it hits the post, hits the goalkeeper. The goalkeeper tries to palm it out. And finally, it just kind of spins over the keeper's head into the net. I think Kevin Miller was the goalkeeper at the time for Barnsley. Um, I wouldn't say it was a comedy of errors exactly, but yeah, not not. He scored some better goals since then, including the one that you commentated on. But uh,
0: so, so Kevin Miller had things worked out right; would have signed for Forrest under Dave Bassett. Is that right? So Dave wanted a goalkeeper. Mm-hmm. Kevin Miller was the goalkeeper that he'd identified. If for some reason, it didn't come off and Kevin Miller ended up there. Um, that, and I, I think that's that, with- Dave Besson. Besson, yeah. Well, I think he ended up actually with Marco Pascolo first. God, who, was the, who was the Swiss international keeper at Euro 96. That's right. So they, and, and then they wanted to sign Pascal Zuberbühler, who went on to be Swiss number one, but he was Swiss number two. And he was a player that Bobby Houghton, the assistant manager, knew about. Couldn't get Zula Bueller. The Kevin Miller deal fell through at the 23rd and a half hour. And so they ended up with Marco Pascolo, who couldn't hack it in England. He was
1: yeah, yeah.
0: hopeless, really. But yeah. And then Besson came in, and it, it was Besson
1: crossing the rest of the way. Yeah, there you go. So as you mentioned, Forrest uh, forced the sale of JJ. At the time, a record £5 million sale, making him the second most expensive teenager behind someone who would end up being his teammate at the team he went to after Newcastle, Tottenham, uh, Robbie Keane.
0: Yeah. What I would say about him in terms of his character trait, I've not seen too many kids go into a team and belong straight away. Right. Um, I spoke to Joe Cole on Friday on my radio program, and Joe was talking about how he came through at West Ham. And he said it was different for him because everybody knew that he was coming Right. And that was the same with JJ at Forest. You know he's there. He said, So when I got into the team at West Ham, I couldn't be a 17, 18 year old kid. I was the finished article because they'd been talking about me for years. There's this kid in the youth team who's going to be special. Mm-hmm. He said, So when I get in the first team at West Ham, I've got to be, I've got to be a top performer. Never, he said, I never had the opportunity to be the new kid, and people gradually get to know me. There was such a fanfare about me getting the first team debut then I've got to be great from the start. And that takes a certain type of mentality. Yeah, And I think it was very similar with JJ, that we knew that Jay was coming in and we knew there were more behind it and everybody was excited. And he came in with that assurance, that calmness, he belonged. You never looked at him in the first three or four appearances and thought he's settling in. He kind of came in and owned the place from the start because yeah. he's got the right mentality, the talent. And and that, that was the thing that stuck out for me, that ability to come in and own the room straight away and then just, and just play as though that was his natural right to that position, which I is think, very yeah, difficult
1: for a young player to do. Yeah, I think the only other teenager I can think of for Forrest that did something similar would be Roy Keane. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: I think you'd say to a certain extent Reed and Dawson had a similar impact mm. but I think they were helped by the fact that Jermaine had already done it he was the oh, first yeah. one that, that, that came in like that and whatever situation you ever put him in you can't ruffle him I mean you know I, I know him really well now as a fellow he's, he's a really really good friend of mine and he's he's as cool as a cucumber 24-7 you know nothing can't wind me but everything takes everything in his stride and it's a real gift It's really
1: annoying, uh, is what it is. He's a good-looking bloke. (laughs) He's as fit as a butcher's dog. Um, He can't be ruffled. He's great on Mike. Just hate him.
0: Yeah, I'm (laughs) I'm, I'm refuting
1: all that. I'm not having any of that. He tells me that every week. (laughs) I think what was really impressive is he went on to have the (laughs) same impact, I think, at Newcastle and Tottenham. He looked like he belonged. He had an impressive career in the Premier League. Well,
0: Mark, I'll tell you the same thing. So when he got to Newcastle, he was in exactly the same position. Yeah, So he's cost all this money, and he's thrown straight in. I think to to a time where Derby, I think he's playing Sunderland pretty much straight off the bat. And when they signed him, they needed him to come and make an impact. He again didn't have the opportunity to fit in to find his way. Yeah, he got to go in and hit the ground running. Then in Premier League terms, at Newcastle, who were a big deal under Bobby Robson. So again. That mentality that he got, every step of the way, he's had to just go and perform instantly. And he did it again. And that was a great credit to him as well, that every step of the ladder, every little step up that he took, he was able to,
1: to perform. Yeah. Yeah, and his career bears that out. Like I said, he had an impressive career in the Premier League. In 2002, 2003, he won the PFA Young player of the year award again. I'm sure he doesn't mention that to you, Fletch. Uh, he <laughs> he went on to make 110 appearances for Newcastle, playing in both the Champions League and UEFA Cup. I actually got to see him in the Champions League. Um, it was a game at the new camp, my missus and I were there. Um, just happened to be there when there was a Champions League game on. We got ourselves a ticket, so I got to see. Uh, Barcelona taking the cars off of pieces. Anyway, um, then he made 155 he appearances. He doesn't mention that, actually. <laughs> he never mentions that. <laughs> uh, made 155 appearances for Spurs, uh, winning the League Cup in 2008, where he provided the game-winning assist for Jonathan Woodgate. Uh, had a short spell at Villa and QPR. And then he actually returned to Forest. But before we come back to that, Fletch, I know you want to interject. Go on.
0: Well, I'll just say, he he doesn't mention the Barcelona, but he certainly mentions the assist for Woodgate's goal in the League (laughs) cup final.
1: Well, fair play. I mean, that's something that is worth (laughs) mentioning. i would mention that every day if it were me. Um, Anyway, JJ came back to Forest in 2012-13 on loan, played six games, scored a goal. Great goal, actually. Folks, go and check that out on YouTube. It was a tidy, tidy finish, little dink over the goalkeeper. Um, Any thoughts on his return, Fletch? Look, I think at
0: that stage, he knew that it was coming to an end. Yeah. Um, And I think, you know, he got the opportunity to come back and why wouldn't you? He had to leave when he had to leave in the circumstances that he did. So to come back and do it again was probably something that had played on his mind. So it scratched an itch to a large extent. But I mean, he was... He was battling to save his career at that stage. I mean, the injuries were a real problem for him. It's such a shame because he had so much still to give. And I, I, I always... I always think you know footballers are easy to criticise because um, they're easy targets in many ways and a lot of them don't help themselves in the way they conduct themselves and what they do and the way they live their lives. But it is also potentially a very tenuous career that mm-hmm. one bad challenge that isn't malicious potentially any way, shape or form can bring it all to an end yeah. in an instant. Um, and in, t- in terms of the, the knee injury that he had, he couldn't get over it. Um, and... It, it was a shame because he yeah. he ended up... I mean, he fulfilled a lot. And he did a great deal of things, but it he'd still got more to give. Uh, and, I, and I know that having spoken to him at length about it, and I've spoken to Owen Hargreaves at length about it, when you've got players of that level cut off in their prime to a large extent, emotionally and mentally, it's very, very difficult to deal with. And I know that both of them endured some dark days, you know, in terms of what do I do now? Um, what's my focus? Is the phone going to ring? What do I do today? So they, they'd experienced this. The beauty of it for, for Jermaine was that he got the vision. He was going to go into the media and he's thrown himself a hundred percent into that and been very successful at it. So he's managed to forge another career off the back of, of one that he, that he, that he initially chose. But yeah. I know that, I know that that, you know, it's still something that he, he's not that fond of talking about. You know, if we've, if we try and engage him on it on the programme, he'll talk about it, yeah. But you can see at the back of the mind, behind the eyes, you know, the the, the question still remains and and it whirs around in there. I I I think think it's it's very, very difficult for people to get over that when they have something taken away from them in those circumstances.
1: Well, in addition to his time with Forrest and his time in the Premier League, uh, he played for England at all levels from youth 15 through full international, scoring uh, his only goal at senior level against Switzerland at Wembley in 2008 if you're going to score a goal for England and just a one goal do it at Wembley it's a fair play he
0: he played in the infamous one didn't he when was it at West Ham when Ericsson took everybody off at half time and put 11 on it 11 changes
1: he played in that one (laughs) Yeah, Ericsson. God bless him. Um, as you mentioned, he had to retire at the too young age of 33 years old. And he yeah. said uh, in the last few years of his career, he loved to play the game, even though he was playing injured. And it, he felt like it took probably took about 10 or 20% out of his play, in his own words. Um, yeah, very sad that he had to retire so young. But fantastic player, great talent. And like you said, even though he wasn't able maybe to play as long as he wanted... Squ, you know, really squashed a lot into a into a short career, and has gone on to have a have a great career in the studio with you, Fletch, uh, and involved in other <laughs> media activities. A fair play to him.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I'll tell you. Well, I'll say I'll say it again. I, I sound like a broken record, but I've been really lucky at people that I've had the chance to work with and be around. And he, again, genuine, humble, funny, great company. Do anything for you. Um, is that your family him man? Him. This oh, is him. Yeah, it. Okay. Yeah. Um, big, big <laughs> family man. You know, he's, he's a dad first and foremost these days. You, don't try and ring him during homeschooling because you've got no chance. You <laughs> got an answer. Don't. You don't get him between school hours. When school's finished, ring him. Then he'll he'll speak to you. But yeah, he's a really talented fellow. Can turn his hand to most things. He's he's
1: he's just a cracking. He's just he's just a cracking bloke. I, I love him to bits. So for my pick, Fletch, we've already name-checked most of the options. There are a couple of other lads we haven't really talked about who I, 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 I went back and forth and almost went with Ricky Schimmacher just because I remember him having... Now, now by the way, now, by the way, now, there is a nice man. Yeah. I Ricky will Schimmaker. tell you now,
0: Ricky <laughs> Schimmacher is one of the nicest people in the world. Well no, he made me feel terrible. I didn't pick him. I'll tell you what, Ricky is a... Is a, is a Gem of a man. Absolutely lovely bloke. I can't imagine him being a footballer. Because at some stage, you've got to kick somebody. And Ricky wouldn't want to do that. He's too nice a guy. Uh, I feel awful Intelligent. Now. <laughs> what, a, what a cracking bloke Ricky Schimmick. Honestly. Brilliant. Lo- lovely, lovely, lovely man. He's the kind of footballer, right, that he will arrive at a new club and you'll go to interview him and he'll walk over to you and say, Hi, I'm, I'm Ricardo Schiwicker. Yes, I "No, you are, but that's what any normal person <laughs> would do. He's just a really normal guy. You know, he's
1: just a, a really, really, really nice bloke. Very good footballer mm. and even better bloke. All right, fair enough. Listeners, you can look forward to our next episode, <laughs> which is the nicest people Darren Fletcher's ever met in okay. football. Yeah, well, um, I've met, so, listen, I've met some toe rags as well. We could do that one too. Fantastic. Look forward to that one. Gareth Williams, <laughs> another one as well. I, I was toying with yeah. Gareth Williams as well. And, you know, obviously Reedy and, and Dawson. But the reason it was to focus on those players that maybe not as well known. The guy I picked actually, I think, was pretty well known. He he arguably had the best years of his career with a different club. But he certainly had a season for the ages with uh, decided You went with JJ. I decided to go with DJ David Johnson. Hey, David.
0: Fans choice as player of the year. Beat Michael Brown to it. Although the actual supporters club itself in awards to Brown, they were pretty split as a whole those who come to Molane week in, week out. Huckabee trying to power through. Oh, and a mistake has presented it to David Johnson. And Forrest strike first in the second leg. Johnson rises to the occasion, and this is huge occasion, what a thumper, he has thumped it into the back of the net John Curtis will hold his head in shame because he can do anything with this ball. He's read the situation to begin with. Huckabee's taken it away from him. But what he does, he just guides it into the path. And look at that. That left foot touch off his knee, onto the right foot. Then you strike it. Look at that. The goalkeeper thinks it might even go to his right-hand side. But it's as straight as a die right in the back of the net. What a goal. Good choice. Good choice. I no.
1: his strike partner. Did you? Did you?
0: Yeah. Did you? Right. I, I never got on great with Marlon. I've got to say. Okay. Um, Marlon I'm didn't glad like it. Did now
1: you you've redeemed me. Yeah. Let's give him a comment. Thank
0: um,
1: you. Mar- Marlon didn't like to be criticised,
0: and see he that. missed a lot of chances. Missed a lot of chances. Yeah. And yeah. as a commentator, you have got to you know you have got to make your point, and he didn't say like it, it. You see it. I got I got called into the office once by Paul Hart, and he said he really doesn't like it. And Marlon, he said, I, I want you to come up and meet him with Marlon. So I went into the office and had a meeting with Marlon Haywood about Marlon Haywood, And he, he was never a player that I could really connect with. What I'd like to do now is meet him now because I think he's he's probably a different fella. But back then, he, I, I never really connected with him. Um, so I'm glad you didn't pick him.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what are you... <laughs> What do you remember about DJ? Our, our Jamaican at the city ground. What do you remember about DJ during his time? I there? first came,
0: I first came across him when he was at Berry, and he played um alongside Peter Swan, and it was the stereotypical big man Little man partnership. Yeah. and he, yeah. he, they got him from man united. and he, he was he was one that was on the radar, went to ipswich and was was really was was really good there. At the time, Forrest, um, had one or two options as to who they were going to buy. And there was a company called Benfield. And Benfield would basically loan football clubs money to buy players. And you would use the player as the equity in the loan. So at the time where they were struggling for money, David Platt was the manager, and they wanted to try and get back in the Premier League. So they managed to find three million quid through this, this company. And another option was Jonathan Mackin, who was scoring goals at the time. Yeah. So it, it turned out to be between... He David yet? Johnson. No, I think he was... Was he Barnsley? Okay, all right. Anyway, so John Mackin was one. He was, at, he was at Man City in the end. Mm-hmm. John Mackin was one. And Preston. John Macken was at Preston. That's right, when Preston. He was game. white. I knew
1: it was white shirt. John, Yeah, okay.
0: John Mackin was at Preston. So... Jonathan Mackin at Preston, David Johnson. So they were the, they, they came down to those two options and they felt that David had got more to his game. So they, they pulled the trigger on David. Um, and when he came, I think he had a bit of an issue with the media in Ipswich. So he was a bit reluctant to do interviews, but he ended up doing one for me and we hit it off. And I tended to speak to David quite a lot and I've always found him a really nice guy. His son's obviously in the first team now, Brennan, and I see him around the academy and I've always... Stayed in touch with Jono. He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a nice guy. I like, I like Jono a lot. Um, and I think the season when they got to the playoffs, that was his best season by far. David oh, yeah. and Marlon up front, good pair. Yeah. David was David that year. And I don't think enough's made of the following year when he broke his leg. And I think that was something, again, that they couldn't overcome. Ended up costing Paul Hart his job. The players were then leaving, you know, Reed and Dawson and people like that. that the, they were selling their assets. But I think, had David stayed fit early in that year and replicated the season he'd had previously, that might well have just slowed down the sales and they might have had a chance of going again um, and having a right good go at getting into the Premier League. I know the lads feel that had they stayed together, they would have got automatically promoted the following year. I, I, I was a bit disappointed in what they did that summer because if you think about it, they get to the playoffs. They lose at Brabham Lane and then they sign Brynjar Gunnison and Danny Sonner. Now, I mean, do me a favour. Yeah. You're now trying to, you know, and I mean, Danny Sonner has shot it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely shot it. Um, Gunnarsson did okay when he left. I mean, he went to Stoke and did all right. That's right, yeah. You think, you just got to the playoff semi-final and you signed Danny Sonner and Brynjar Gunnarsson. really, Showing the kind of ambition to go and take the next step, and then added to that, David's broken leg, they were just undermanned again. You know, it's it's it just it was it, every every time they got to that stage where you thought, "Well, go on then," somebody would either something would happen or they'd go and make a bizarre decision. Yeah. So I'm hoping that now, where they are
1: now, they don't come back after lockdown and go and do something stupid. This might be the year when they do everything right. We'll wait and see. So, as you mentioned, Fletch, DJ started his career up with Manchester United and his first professional contract in 1994. He actually never took to the field for the Red Devils, though. The closest he got to it, was he was in a new sub against Galatasaray in the Champions League. Uh, and as you mentioned, then he was released and ended up signing for, at the time, third division Bury. So, that feels like a fall from grace, but it was really the next step on a career that started, to be, it started a real significant upward trajectory for him and an opportunity for him to start scoring goals and make a name for himself. At Bury, he got 18 of them, helping the club secure successive promotions to Division 1 and earning him the move then to Ipswich. Ipswich, of course, is where it took off, Fletch. I'm sure you remember his time at Portman Road pretty well. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, I think that's why there was a real buzz Around his signing, because he he develops into one of the best strikers outside the Premier League, and when you look at the pedigree that he comes through at Manchester United, I think we all realised that there was probably still more in there. Um, I mean, the problem the problem he got was you've got to be an exceptional striker to make your debut for Manchester United, so there was no um, there was no shame in not making it there as a striker. Um, so dropped down to go again but the talent was always there mm. Ipswich he was superb um Forest was he ever quite as good as he was at Ipswich I would think Forest fans would say probably not quite but I don't think that diminishes the importance he had to the team at that point he was certainly the main striker and scored plenty of goals in that uh playoff season yeah um but I, you know he, he was he was he was top notch when he was,
1: when he was the Ipswich striker that's for sure 55 goals in three seasons at Ipswich, having them establish themselves as playoff regulars and finally playoff winners in 2000. Uh, his former did take a bit of a dip in the Premier League and Forrest at the time were looking for a proven, proven championship goal getter and as Fletcher mentioned, there were few outside of the Premier League with a better record than DJ at the time. And so Forrest took a punt, three and a half million quid in January 2001. Not a very auspicious start, though, Fletch. Uh, he notched just, DJ did not just two goals in that second half of the season. So, and I remember that quite vividly. I remember we, being, we, we were so excited about his arrival, and then he did pretty much nothing that back half of that first season.
0: Yeah, I, I think the change of manager helped him. And I don't think that's a knock on on David Platt in any, in any stretch. But I just think that the type of football they started to play putting the ball at risk and being more expansive and, and, and doing what they did under Paul Hart, I think just suited him better. I think he needed the change and the way that that team developed was better for him. Um, and I think that was a key a key component for him, um, kicking on and be, being better, in significantly better in season two.
1: We mentioned some of the players that formed a really good team around that time. Um, Marlon Harewood, and DJ uh, went on to form a fantastic partnership. Uh, during I'll tell you what,
0: you know, on, on that side, yeah. I think two of the most important players who benefited him and benefited the team were the two fullbacks. Because they played the diamond in midfield with Gareth Williams at the base. That's right. So it was narrow in midfield. So the full, you had to get your wit from the fullbacks. So Jim Brennan on one side and Matthew Louis-Jean on the other. Worth a awaiting gold for David. Reed. Then you've got the diamond in the middle with Ricky and, 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 and Prutton and, and, and uh, Gareth and whoever the other one was, Reedy. And then you've you, you got that, that width. And I think I spoke to Dean Saunders many years ago and he always, he always says to me, strikers need crosses. He said, I need a cross and I need a cross early. Yeah. And it's my job to get across the near post and score a goal. And what you saw from that team was they were really nice and fluid with the ball. When they got those two fullbacks going, that generated a lot of opportunities in the middle for for Johnson and Harewood. And I think that was a a key for him, the way the team played in the season where he had his best, best scoring season in a Forest shirt,
1: was when he got those two players on either flank. I love Dean Saunders. You just unintentionally stumbled on something there. Because I was, uh, listeners know I'm from Oxford originally, and so I saw Dean Saunders play for the U's uh, for a season. Blistering pace, good player. And then at the time, yeah. I was doing a shift at Domino's Pizza in, uh, in Oxford, and he walked in, and I was so excited to, 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 you know, to meet him. I'm like, can I get you to sign something? He's like, yeah, sure. I had nothing to hand. So I grabbed the Domino's Pizza box, yeah, sign the lid of the box. Perfect. Brilliant. Don't know where it is to get lost it on my travels, yeah. but uh, yeah, good guy, good guy. Anyway, when, when, um, I, when, when I first started
0: working as a football reporter in 1990, he was at Derby, so he was on my patch. We did the East Midlands, Nottingham, Derby, Leicester. Yeah. And Dean was great. Dean would always do an interview. Likes talk. Dean likes talking, so Dean will always do an interview. So even though I was asking the worst questions known to man, Dean would always do the interview I think he found me slightly amusing you know the fact that he could take the piss But so off he went ended up going to Liverpool could have gone to Forest ended up Galatasaray and all that Villa signed by Frank back to the city well to the city ground eventually so I go down to interview Dean Saunders and we stood on the side of the pitch and I'm doing the radio so we're doing the interview back and forth with the questions and he said to me, hang on a minute, he said, uh, are you that nugget that used to interview me when I was at Derby? <laughs> <laughs> so I just said, yes, not realising what I'd answered to, so I'd confirmed myself as the nugget from Derby. But we've we we, <laughs> we <laughs> we've been quite good mates ever since, he, only, he popped up out of the blue last summer for a game of golf at my course here, so oh, brilliant. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's he's great company, Dean. He's the funniest man I've ever met. He can make the most mundane story sound hilarious. He's just got a natural delivery. He's brilliant.
1: Well, tell him the lad with the pizza box is grateful when you see. I will do. Yeah, don't worry. Yeah, yeah. Um, Anyway, DJ. Back to DJ. (laughs) uh, Back to DJ. Roller coaster career at the City Ground. Right, I'm going to have to plough through this a little bit because this is crazy. It's a little bit repetitious as well, but it is. it's highs and lows. I mean, it's, it is just a roller coaster. So we mentioned uh, three goals in his first 24 appearances. He fell out of favor with the new manager, Paul Hart. But as Fletch mentioned, Harty had some work to do in getting the team together the way he wanted it. And that ultimately did benefit DJ. In the meantime, though, he was allowed to go out alone to fellow First Division club Sheffield Wednesday, uh, for whom he scored twice in seven appearances, and Burnley, where he scored an impressive five goals in just eight appearances. In fact, as you might remember, Fletch Burley had actually agreed to pay. Uh, I, think I think it was one hundred, one hundred twenty. I think it's thousand pounds to sign Johnson on a permanent basis at the end I mean of the season. That, I mean, that
0: just sums the place up, doesn't it? They, they buy a fella for three and a half million quid, and they're happy yeah. to sell it for one hundred and twenty-five grand. That's i what mean, I'm to remember the numbers, if, any, yeah. if anybody wonders why they've not been back in the Premier League for a period of time, it's decisions <laughs> like that. You just smack your. Dick. What are you doing? I mean, it just makes no sense, does it? It can't, be, it, can't, it can't be that bad after, you know, it's crazy.
1: Yeah, astonishing. Absolutely astonishing. Um, thankfully, though, for Forrest, that deal <laughs> fell through at the 11th hour. And so, <laughs> it's Fletcher Fletcher's losing it here. <laughs> yeah. yeah you would like to
0: think somebody thought, oh, it's him. It's the one we paid three and a half million quid for. No, we can't accept
1: 125 grand. <laughs> Wow. Um, wow! So we come, we come to the bright spot, and we come to the key moment. And it's not a moment; it's a stretch of games, it's a season. Two thousand two, two thousand three, when DJ found something like his Ipswich form, scoring twenty nine goals in forty seven appearances. He and Hayward together scoring fifty goals that season. Fletch, absolutely remarkable, carrying Forrest all the way to the playoffs. Um, just uh, I remember being at the City Ground, and that being just a fantastic season. Ricky in full flow. I can mention Gareth Williams. You mentioned our flying fullbacks, and then Marlon and DJ. It just it almost felt like every time they got an opportunity, bang, goal. Good times.
0: They were, and and when you when you when you break it down and talk about it in the manner that that you have, and you look at it retrospectively, mm. the thing that stands out is that when David Johnson was confident. David Johnson was a very, very effective player. Mm. Burnley, uh, sorry, Bury scored goals. Ipswich, confidence, scored goals. Going to the Premier League, it's a bit of a flat spot, goals dried up. Came to the city ground, didn't really work. Looked like he was a busted flush. Gets to Burnley, starts to suit him. Confidence gets back in the game. And then he comes back to the city ground and off he goes. And I think the thing with, with David was, when, when he got the confidence, he could score goals in any situation. But I think he was quite fragile in that in that situation. That he he'd gotta be in a team that suited him, and he'd gotta feel like he could deliver. And when he did feel that way, very, very effective. Um and it I mean imagine just imagine, don't you, that they bought him a three and a half million quid, fogged into to Burnley for 125 grand, and he goes and scores that kind of ratio the following year. I mean, that just would I think that would have tipped us all over the edge at that stage. Yeah. yeah. But, but yeah, I mean, look, he that, that was him and, and what I would say is the season where he scored the goals you never thought he was going to miss it That's was right. so natural to him yeah. he took he scored every kind of goal you know he was, he was outstanding exceptional mm-hmm. and you just watched him and thought what was wrong with him because he looked so natural so good but that, I suppose that was, that, was the, that was
1: the big question well, a couple of points I want to pick you up on there. He actually scored the opening day of that season. So when you talk about confidence, I mean, there is no greater confidence for a striker than scoring. So to score on the opening day and be yeah. like, here I am, you know, and continue the form that you had at Burnley as well. That certainly set him on the right path. And then when you talk about him scoring all types of goals, I went back and looked at the season review and I was astonished. I don't know why it slipped from my memory, but I was astonished at how many goals he scored with his head. I and mean, he was yeah. five six, I want to say. I mean, he was diminutive. But he scored so many goals with his head. It was every type of goal. It goes
0: back to the point that when you've got a player like him that, that thrives on confidence, mm-hmm. it, a lot of it's instinct. So very, very instinctive finisher when he was confident. Mm-hmm. So you just automatically make the right run and you automatically get yourself in the right place. And when you get there, you automatically do what you need to do to score. When you a player, relies on confidence and you're lacking confidence, you overthink it. Right. And by the time you thought about it, the chance has gone. So I think it, it does help you understand how certain forwards have those peaks and troughs, those, those streaks where you might look at the end of the season and say, he's a 25 dollar season striker. But you might look back and realise that he scored the 25 goals in 27 games. Yeah. And the rest of the time, he's not really contributing a great deal. I'm not talking about him individually. Tommy Johnson was a great one for that when he was at mm-hmm. North County. Tommy would get 20 goals and he'd score them in 15 or 16 matches because he, he would go on runs. And then when the confidence went, he dried up again and he needed to reignite it. And I think David was that kind of guy. From a Forest standpoint, he was able to do it for a season, which was tremendous, but he'd done that before. And I, I just think when you look at the goals he scored, you could see when he was on... And he was he was confident anything was possible. He, yeah. he very very natural.
1: Yeah, goals may have been a consistent of his career, but so unfortunately were injuries. And that season, mm. despite having an incredible season, and maybe this makes the season even more incredible, uh, it was announced in February that he'd been playing most of the season with a torn posterior cruciate ligament, which is crazy, and yeah. that of course set him out for a period of time. Forrest needed him desperately, and so he did return more quickly than expected. Thankfully and aided that last that, that late push for the top six, Forrest grabbing that sixth vital playoff spot uh, that season. Do you know, Fletch, do you remember? I'm, I know I'm putting you on the spot here, but there's nice symmetry here. That'll give you a clue. Do you remember which team they pipped to that sixth spot that season on the final day of the season? No, I don't. Ipswich. Right, okay. Right, <laughs> right. Crazy, crazy how these things yeah. pan out. So. Yeah. I remember the playoff game. The, yep. the Saturday lunchtime when
0: Dawson got sent off mm. and you're thinking, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no.
1: Yeah. Oh, it just makes me feel sick even now thinking about yeah. it. Yeah. Um, in addition to his, his time at Forest, DJ uh, played four times for his native Jamaica. He mentioned he was born in Jamaica, scored twice. He almost, though, Fletch, played for England, Wales, Scotland, and Northern Ireland, who came calling in twice.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I remember the Northern Ireland stuff. I yeah. remember that quite clearly, yeah.
1: yeah. Crazy. Anyway, that familiar pattern of bad luck for DJ uh, continued on. The following season, he fractured his tibia in a match against Sheffield United. Uh, despite returning before the end of the season, he was never quite the same. He lost that yard of pace and sharpness that Fletch was talking about and scored just 11 goals in 47 appearances from March 2004 to March 2005. He also lost his manager, if
0: you remember. Yeah. He lost his manager. You know, I don't think you can underestimate that either. I agree. And I always always think that that was a decision taken by Forrest that was knee-jerk, it was wrong. It was obvious to everybody that without David Johnson, they weren't the same team, and they weren't going to be the same team as the year before.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And I think they needed to ride that out, even maybe accept that that season... Would be, you know, kind of not what it was supposed to be, but I think by losing Paul, you lost so much, and I think the players, I don't think the players appreciated the decision. And by the time he came back and was fit, the, the club was completely different to the one that he'd been involved in when he when he was playing before. And I remember the game when he when he when he broke his leg because that there was a lot of anticipation in the city because it was the Sheffield United rematch.
1: Yeah. So a lot
0: had been said in the build-up and all that kind of thing. So it was it was it was it was made even more painful by the fact it was Sheffield United essentially finishing the season two years in a row because the minute he got injured that season was over too. Because they were never going to replace him. They were never gonna find twenty-nine goals. I remember Paul saying at the time, real problem here, because he's been so good last season. How do you replace that?
1: Yeah, it's remarkable, isn't it, how decisions that are taken in the boardroom higher up the chain of command somehow the buck always rests with the manager.
0: But but it goes back to what I said to you earlier in the the piece, that if you get to the playoff semi-final and then you sign Danny Sonner and Brynjar Gunnarsson, two midfielders who are actually very good for a team that was, you know, minutes away from Wembley, Mm -hmm. minutes, you know, you're not really giving yourself a chance to follow I mean, if a few things start to go wrong. They needed to add at that stage. They've got to take a gamble and add. They've got to add some quality to the side to give themselves that little bit more. And it, it just never came.
1: Yeah. Forrest, of course, were relegated at the end of the 0405 season to League One. Oh, gosh, it makes me sick to say that out loud as well. Uh, the wilderness for a few years there. Uh, DJ looks set to be offloaded, but he actually forced his way back into the team for a couple of months, only for, guess what? an injury. A prolapsed disc in his back, finished his season, and all intents and purposes, Fletch, finished his career as well. 148 appearances, 48 goals for Forrest. Looked like he might actually head off to Burton Albion. Nigel Clough was looking at bringing him there for a stretch of time. That didn't happen. He ended up at Hucknall Town in Conference North. Uh, Actually showed up in March, but by the summer, he knew he was done. Um, Just wasn't able to recover from the prolapsed disc, and I guess in too much pain, and that was that. But as you mentioned, Fletch, we have a legacy at the City Ground in that Brennan Johnson is young lad.
0: Yeah, Brennan, yeah, he, he, named after Jim Brennan, who was the fullback on the other side. He was a close friend of David's when they played together. Is that right?
1: Yeah. Did not know that. Okay. Oh. So yeah, he's playing his trade at the city ground yet. Hasn't really made his mark yet, and he had a couple of appearances, but it looks like a bit of a prospect. He will, yeah. He will. He prospect. will he's he's got the lot, and they like him a lot down there. And he's
0: great because. This is the next generation. So he's now the generation that the young boys in the academy at the moment are looking up to. Arvin Apaya, Brennan Johnson. I mean, Arvin's gone now, but he, he was one that came through. We're starting to see the next wave now. Um, Tyler Walker. and they've got yeah, they've got great hopes for Brennan. Already a full international for Wales. Um and yeah, I mean I I he's had one or two opportunities this season and he's never disgraced himself when he's been in there. Mm-hmm. I think he needs that. I think he needs the goal to kick him on, but looks, uh, looks, uh, looks a real prospect. And I think there's a, a lot of excitement about uh, John uh, Johnson Mark II coming into the Forest First team on a, on a regular basis.
1: Good stuff. Well, I certainly enjoy, again, I think DJ's time, obviously listed with injuries and what could have been, but that one beautiful, brilliant, bright season, 2002-2003, uh, stuck sticks long in my memory and... Uh, some of my happiest times at the city grounds, seeing him bagging away goals uh, with some regularity. So certainly appreciate it, his time for the Reds. He's an, another one,
0: and I know I bore you with this, but he's another one who was an absolute dream to deal
1: with. Absolutely. <laughs> absolute dream. Brilliant. Right, well, great. He'll be on the next episode. <laughs> <laughs> Heroes and villains. i would already it bit pegged. Um, joking yeah. aside though, Fletch, it's been... I've done a bunch of podcasting over the years and various different topics and certainly enjoy doing the Forest Fancast and talking about Nottingham Forest. But uh, one of my one of my favorite 90 minutes on a mic was with you when I had you on as a guest, the Forest Fancast. And I, joke, I don't know if you remember this, I joked with you before we hit record, um you know maybe we'll get 20 30 minutes and i talked to you about the fact that colin Frey gave us a good stretch of time and next thing i knew we were 90 minutes in and um that was brilliant and i asked you to help me with this i did not imagine you'd say yes and you've given up over three hours of your time here to go down memory lane with me i can't thank you enough mate this has been this has really been the highlight of my time on mic doing podcasts i really appreciated it
0: my pleasure um and as you know i'm always available to you so uh, no doubt we'll speak again really enjoy doing it as well it's always great to speak to the forest supporters whether they be here in the uk or, or in the us or wherever they are um so so it, it's been really good for me as well i've really enjoyed it so thank you for asking me
1: no problem and it sounds like a lot of your uh, your conversations and your catch-ups happen on the golf course and so maybe i can caddy for you <laughs> next time i'm back in england no problem. My
0: pleasure.
1: <laughs> All right, mate. You take care of yourself. Thanks again, Fletch. Cheers, mate. Hey, this is Shane Malcolm. And this is Jordan Schweitzer. We're the creators of Boot Bags. Fashionable,
0: durable, washable. Boot Bags are the most convenient way to carry your cleats to and from training or games. Check us out at bootbags.us. You're listening to the Forest Fancast Podcast.